Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Christopher Perry D. We've done two interviews already about his earlier books. Uh, one we did in August 2021. title of that book is Talking with Psychopaths and Savages, Mass Murders and Spree Killers. And then in November, early November, we talked about another book titled Serial Killers, World's Most Evil Journey Deeper into the Darkest of Minds. But today we're going to talk about a different book uh, about women. And I would suggest people not listen to this with young children around. Uh, the title of this book is Female Serial Killers, A Chilling Study of the Most Evil Women in the World. This was published back in 2018. And Christopher Barry D. is a direct descendant of Dr. John D., court astrologer to Queen Elizabeth I. He's a former Royal Marine Commando and the founder and former director of the Criminology Research Institute, or CRI, and the former publisher and editor-in-chief of The Criminologist, the world's oldest and most respected journal on matters concerning law enforcement, penology, forensic psychiatry, psychology, penal reform, the judiciary, and all criminology subjects. He has interviewed and interrogated more than 30 of the world's most notorious serial killers and mass murderers. He's appeared on TV as a consultant on serial homicide and was co-producer interviewer for the acclaimed 12-part documentary series, The Serial Killers, as well as consulting on the cases of Fred and Rose West, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley, who's featured on the cover of this book, and Dr. Harold Shipman in the 2-4 produced TV series Born to Kill. And uh, really a fascinating book, a lot of interesting information about people they had heard in the news but did not know uh, much more about their full story. Uh, somebody called Joanna Christine Dennehy covers in detail, and also Eileen Warnos, but he can talk about that. So Christopher Barry, do you welcome to the show? How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm all ready to go. Thank you. Right, cool. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. I mean, you have a, such a long background. I think you're uh, over 40 books published. Can you talk about, you know, you've traveled the world. You start off at a woman's penal uh, prison in Russia. You've you've covered so much territory. Can you talk about inspired, what inspired you to write talking with female serial killers? Well, I'm always giving the guys a bit of a hammering. Um, I'm, you know, Kenneth Bianchi, Lucas, you know, some of the guys at your place, Russian serial killers. I mean, I'd give them a damn good thrashing normally, but then all of a sudden it twigged. Some of these women could be more deadly than the male. I mean, they can be naughty. And um, I thought, well, this time I'll have a, I'll have a pop at uh, the girls. Um, you know, Rudyard's Kipling's famous quote, um, you know, the female other species could be more deadly than the male. It's true. And so that's how this book came about. And well, you've traveled, you've seen so many prisons. Can you talk about your experiences? Like you've been to prisons in India, Russia, the U.S. Um, what's it like for women's prisons around the world? Well, let's start off with um, Sablino, which is about 40 kilometers south of St. Petersburg. Um, I was working with... Um, the St. Petersburg State Police, great guys, love their vodka, do anything for you for a bonus, you know, a, a bottle of scotch and some Scottish shortbread for the wives. Um, obviously, you've got to give them a bonus. And I visited this women's prison at Sablino. Uh, it was minus 15, dropping to 20. It was snowing hard. At first appearances, it looked like a concentration camp, like a German concentration camp in the winter guard dogs snarling. Um, and when we, we sort of slid into this prison, uh, there were these girls all wrapped up in cheap coats, scraping away the ice so that 
I wouldn't slip up going to the governor's office. Um, and I met the governor. She was a mother, Teresa. She's a lovely woman. Um, she made sure that any girl that went there that was couldn't read or write could read and write when she left. Um, I went round the um, dormitories, uh, jammed, packed, um, three bunks on top of each other. Every woman had at least one cat. The place stunk to high heaven. The windows were broken. The snow was coming in. Um, then they are. They wanted to show me um, their hairdressing salon. The, the girls had a hairdressing salon. It was all pink and painted and sweet and kind. And they had pictures of famous American film actors there. Real girly thing. And then they held a concert in my honour. Um, it was very moving. It was incredibly moving. I met one woman who was the head chef. She was a very big woman in a barn where they were doing a big vat of soup or something. And my camera steamed up. It was so, you know, it was so steamy. And she'd actually chopped up her husband and fed him to um, some neighbours. Um, and the reason why was for years she'd suffered terrible abuse at the hands of this drunk who had raped her young son and she'd had enough. And then one day she was complaining and he locked her out onto the balcony of their home and poured, it was snowing and he poured lighter fuel over her and then set her alight and it burned her badly. He said, I'll warm you up. So she decided to take an ax from a wood pile and cleaved his head in and then thought, oh, hang on a minute, I'll feed him to the neighbours. She actually got 15 years. She's released now. I still write to her. Um, she, you know, she's she's okay. Then I met the gangsters, the women gangsters, um, in a very secure area. I took them a lot of Marlboro Red cigarettes. They love Marlboro Red. Um, called a Marlboro Kashni is means it's red in Russian. Um, and they were great. They were well behaved. And guess what? There wasn't one woman in that prison that had ever hurt a child. Not one. Not one woman in that prison had ever hurt a baby or a child. Unlike in my country, we've just had another woman and her husband arrested for torturing their six-year-old son and killing him. So there was none of that. But that was my first experience in Russia. And that prison was something to be scared about going to. Right. You've noticed that there's difference in treatment in prisons. And you talk about how so kind of soft, comparatively soft, the UK is on some of their worst Criminals, you also mentioned that in Russia, their recidivism rate is very low. I think you said 96% don't uh, don't reoffend. I think the West or some Western countries, certainly the U.S. could learn from the Russians and what they're doing. So that's interesting. Well, English female in English prisons where Joanne Dennehy is, um, she's a very dangerous young woman, uh, is uh, incarcerated. It's a holiday camp. I mean, I'm talking about holiday camp. It's spotlessly clean. They got TV, internet access. Um, they got all the medication they could possibly want. Central heating, exercise. They have Christmas parties, pantomimes. It's a fucking joke. And then I've been to a couple of American prisons. One was where Kathy May Wood was incarcerated. She's out now. Another one, Gwendolyn and Graham up um, up up north, and um. You know, they've got it easy. They don't realise. And, you know, they complain about the conditions. It's a bloody prison, for God's sake, you know. And if you go around chopping, Melanie Maguire, for instance, the ice queen, um, she's having a bit of a rough time in New Jersey, the Garden State. Um, she chopped her husband up and put him into suitcases and threw him in the Chesapeake Bay. 
I'm just writing another stuff about her now. Um, she's at the Edna Mahan Women's Prison in, in New Jersey. But that's just come into a lot of stick because apparently the, 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 I think it was either closed down or they're doing a big inspection there because um, the conditions were quite bad. Well, my attitude is if, if you don't want to go into a bad prison, don't kill anybody. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a good idea. And you mentioned somebody I didn't know about this person, Kathy Maywood. I think she was in Michigan. She's kind of one of the intro people you talk about. Can you talk about her? And this, she was an example of a certain type of female killer, right? Well, well, Kathy Maywood and Gwendolyn Graham, my, my dear friend, Lowell Caulfield, wrote an excellent book called Forever and Five Days. Worth getting hold of, guys, if you want to read the definitive account of this murder, these murders. What it was that these two girls, these two nursing aides, had a, a job, a, a Grand Rapids nursing home. And in the winter, what they did was, as part of a lesbian love pack, they they, they decided to suffocate uh, by by burking, which is, which means sitting on the chest and then pinching the noses. Of, and these and they, they killed five elderly people, helpless elderly people in their beds. Uh, the instigator was Kathy May Wood. She's a big woman, and you know you've got this lesbian relationship, you've got this husband and wife type relationship, uh, and Gwendolyn Graham was a frail little thing, but she was led along by Kathy May Wood. Now, Kathy May Wood did a plea bargain deal uh, and tipped all the blame onto Gwendolyn. And Lyle Caulfield picked this up in his book as well as well as I did. Now, when I went to see, I filmed Kathy uh, Wood. Uh, I had a full film crew with me and she appeared all contrite and she had tears rolling down her cheeks and she was, oh, you know, it wasn't my fault, Christopher, and everything else. But the minute she walked out of the room, she was overheard saying, I bet I fooled those silly suckers in there. Then I went to interview Gwendolyn and we filmed her and she was self-harming. She'd been cutting her wrists, burning her hand, burning herself with cigarette lighters and matches and stuff. And she was a pathetic little soul. Now, because Kathy May Wood did a plea bargain agreement, she's since been released. Little Gwendolyn Graham is going to spend the rest of her life in prison and probably come out wearing a cardboard box. So... You know, but they were both dangerous women. I mean, you can't just sit on old people and suffocate them. They should have, they should have been put in an electric chair for God's sake. You know, those, 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 those were somebody's grandparents who, who, who they'd known all their lives. I mean, God's sake, the, the, you know, and to let Kathy Maywood out, and she's walking the streets now, it's despicable. Right. And they were doing it kind of for sport. That was one of the things, a theme in your book is like, what's the motivation? And this one, they didn't even have any fin uh, financial, vengeful inclinations. It was all just for bonding kind of strange, strange things they were up to, right? Yeah, so they do it for fun. Yeah. yeah it's, and then there's a lot of care. Unfortunately, there's a lot of care stories involving women um, poisoning and things like that. Can you talk more about kind of where things can go wrong for women in, in healthcare? Well, well, let's put it this way. You get the black widows and the book contains a few chapters about black widows. 
And what we're talking about, I mean, there's, I think there's one in the, one woman in the book that she married sort of a quite a wealthy, well, a guy that had some money, might have been a fireman, might have been a police officer, something. Then as soon as she got her hand on the insurance policies and everything else, she either fed him antifreeze or something like that and then went to the funeral. And in one instance, she had three husbands. She killed three husbands. And before the funeral was finished, she actually turned around to the undertaker and said, can you save the flowers and the sandwiches for the next one? That's how the, that's how the police eventually caught. <laughs> you know, and then you've got that horrible woman that got that little boy um, that young half, well, it wasn't a little boy, but he was mentally uh, uh, mentally ill, and uh, and she she got him into a home, and then got all his money from him and his benefits and stuff. And I, then, I remember that. Yeah, and then she started tipping acid over him and burning him and drowning him in the bath and using wire wool on his body, and then um, dumped him. I mean, that's these some of these women can be very very bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of bad, a lot of Munchausen by proxy syndrome type stuff that can happen. Um, one of the cases that I, I really was interested in, in the central part of your book is this person, Joanna Christine Dennehy. She's really something else from the UK. Can you talk about her? Well, to be honest with you, I've interviewed a lot of serial killers, men and women, or mass murderers or one-offs. I mean, you know, but Joanne Dennehy's you know, I mean, people say to me, what is the most dangerous person you've ever met? Well, you know, I mean, Kenneth Bianchi in the Washington State Penitentiary, can idiot he was. I mean, he had these evil eyes. I mean, after Shaw Cross, Dougie Clark, the Sunset Slayer. I got on well with Dougie. He swears a lot, but he was okay. But there are dangerous people and there's really dangerous. And, and you know, I don't know about, I don't know if anybody watched the film Exorcist or these possessed things films or the devil inside but Joan Dennehy is without doubt in my mind one of the most dangerous women that ever walked the face of this earth she's about 33 34 now she's quite petite I wrote the book called um, Love of Blood with the help of uh, the police that, um, that nicked her she an English girl come from quite a good upbringing middle class um, and she killed Three men in a week. Uh, the first kill, if I remember rightly, because I've been with so many of these people, um, was a Polish boy that she'd met in a mall day or so before. She lured him back to a place where she was staying and then stabbed him with a, a, a five-inch pocket knife in the heart. And then her lover, her six-foot, seven-inch lover, his name was Gary Stretch, believe it or not. Um, they put the body in a wheelie bin um, and let it rot for about four days in the garden. And then they dumped his naked body in a dike in the countryside. The second kill was of a man, a drunk, sleeping in his bed. She was had a job of keeping the house clean and she he was drunk and, and she stabbed him 47, 40 times. And then the third kill was her landlord, who she lured to a place for sex and got him dressed in a black, the kinky. He was married as well, a lovely, beautiful wife and two kids, um, Kevin. And, and she lured him to his place and he put on a black sequin dress and high heel shoes, <laughs> for God's sake. And then she stabbed him. And then 
He was found in the dress, right? In the dike and stuff like that. He had something. He had an aerosol container stuffed up his backside, which was there for everybody to see. Then they went on the run, this stretch, and and um, then he went on the run. Now, Joe Denton, she called him the undertaker, but she couldn't drive a car, and and uh, but he could, and he was six foot seven, and when he drove this car, his knees were up under his chin. <laughs> Anyway, they went on the run down to the West Country and then all of a sudden she saw a guy walking a dog in broad daylight and she got out and she said to Gary Stretch, I want that dog. And he, she got out and she stabbed this man 30 times in broad daylight in the street. And then seven minutes later, she attacked another man who did the same thing and stole his dog. And then they went, then the police turned up and uh, they were arrested. And um, Joanne Dennehy is one of only two women in the British correctional system that is serving a natural life sentence. You know? Right. But she was strange because she didn't have that look of like somebody who we'll talk about later. But I mean, she just looked very middle class. And but she had this kind of crazy bloodlust. She just something. I mean, so strange. Like, well, what? the problem with her was, and, you know, this is sort of a bit of a lesson that will, a lot of your viewers will understand, especially the psychologists and psychiatrists if they're watching, although I don't get on very well with them most of the time. But why I look at it is by the age of 14, she started to go off the rails. She became a bit rebellious. She started taking whiskey to school. If the teacher said anything, she'd throw the whiskey out of the window, break the window. She started upsetting her parents. And the reason was that she was hanging around with some fairground workers. And they were given her dope and stuff and drugs. And this started to affect her mind. Now, the, 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 a, a, a young person's mind doesn't stop developing until the age of about 20 or 21. So she's getting all these toxic substances into her head. Now, she also had a sister, a younger sister, who was very clever and never went off the rails. And what happened was Joe then met with some other people near Duell's and from there on, she got pregnant. And the minute she got pregnant, she dumped the kid. She didn't even touch it ever after that. She had two children, by the way. And the reason was is she, she men had used her when she was young. And she realized that, oh, I've let my parents down. And I've my sister's doing so well. My sister works for NATO. Um, and she got this hatred for men. She had a terror. She took her anger out on men. Now, she said to me, Chris, killing you would be good for me. That's what she said. If you went to bed, guys, if you went to bed with this girl at night, you'd be lucky to wake up in the morning. That's a fact. She hates men with a passion. And you can tell the hatred because, as your viewers will know, when somebody stabs somebody that many times with so much blood flying around, there's evil there, there's the devil there, there's hatred there. That's it. Right. And there's pictures of her online holding knives. It's very strange. Like I've seen men with weaponry, but she was very comfortable. It was very strange. And also the, like, I think you detail in your book, some of these victims, like they had very close to death, like close stabs, close to arteries and things like that. So she was really something else. Super dangerous. Wow. Well, the two guys she stabbed in broad daylight, uh, one died of his injuries. Well, he died about, um, a year later, God bless him, 
Um, I mean, this is to do that in broad daylight with cars going past. I mean, how can you imagine it in a, in a, in a nice, quiet English city? How can you do it? But she did it. She didn't care. Wow. Yeah. She, and they said she showed no emotion. You know, just snuck up on people and started stabbing. I mean, it's really something so strange. Yeah. I mean, your your watchers couldn't find Joanne Denny on the internet as a YouTube posting of her being actually brought before the, the duty sergeant to be booked in. And she's, she, she's flirting with the, the police sergeant on the desk as she, and you know, she's covered in blood and she's, she's laughing and joking with the policeman. <laughs> and she had two children that she gave away too, like just well, yeah. really unmotherly. Yeah. yeah, she didn't. I, I mean, there's a big, she's, there's a picture on the internet holding a big serrated knife. That's that one I saw, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't the murder weapon. It was a tiny little pen knife that she stabbed. I mean, to kill a small five-inch, four-inch blade is nothing. Three-inch blade is nothing. It's a pocket knife. Something else. And you, I mean, you've been with her. You also, somebody who's also a notorious figure in the UK is Rose West. Can you talk a little bit about her? Yeah, uh, yeah, for your viewers, a benefit, um, there's Fred Rest and Rose West. Um, they lived in the West Country in England. Um, uh, Fred West was a builder of sorts. Um, uh, she was a dumpy, boggle-eyed woman. Um, he was a sexual psychopath. They worked as a tag team, a killing tag team. In other words, they would be driving along a country lane, see a girl hitchhiking or walking, um, uh, you know, Rose would say, oh, would you like a lift? Well, the girl was thinking, oh, there's a woman in the car. That's no problem. And then they went down. They, they, they took them back to this place in Gloucester, the house, and then they had a torture chamber in the cellar. And they they stripped them and tortured them for days on end and killed them and buried their bodies, including little babies and children all around the country. And, and uh, Fred, Fred hung himself before his trial in, in jail. And then Rose West um, wrote to me, I wrote, was writing to her, and then she asked me to marry her. <laughs> I'm just on the spot, or like, what did, What was her purpose? I mean... Well, in the letter, she, she saw a photograph of me. She said, I fall in love with you, Christian. Would you marry me? But I, I wrote back to her, and I said, no, look, that is an incredible offer. I mean, I'm so honoured, Rose. But unfortunately, I'll be in the Philippines for the next few years, and I don't want to come back. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, that would be an interesting relationship. Wow, and they were really brutal. I think they buried one of their victims, maybe a daughter, under the cement too of their place. It's just a yeah. horror house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a house of horrors. I mean, you know, it. I mean, she. Fred reminds me of of the guy that was executed. I think it's in Florida, David Allen Gore. Um, I'm doing some stuff with his, his uh, the other guy, Fred Waterfield, who I think might be innocent of a lot of the crimes. Fred's okay. But David Allen Gore wrote to me a whole string of letters explaining exactly what he did. He was hanging the victims up, these girls up in a barn and, and skinning them alive. Wow. Is that, a, mean, is that a recent case? Well, you can find it up. David Allen Gore's on the internet. What what a name, Gore, J G O R E. I mean, how apt. Right, exactly. Really true. Wow. So I mean, even there, well, Florida might be a good transition to talk about somebody you are you know a lot about, Eileen Lee Warnos. Can you talk about your? This is another book of yours, but uh, what was that like meeting her? 
Well, it was only very brief. Um, I was in there meeting somebody else, and it was just per chance that I met uh, Lee very briefly. Um, but I did write, I wrote a chapter in a, in one of my books uh, called um, Talking of Serial Killers, and, and my publisher said to me, Chris, look, we've got all men in there. You know, we want to have a woman in there. And I started researching Lee's case only for a chapter. And then I started to get upset. And I started to drink heavily when I was writing and researching. And I thought to myself, is this a man's thing about a woman? Am I being a bit soft? But the more I looked into Lee's childhood and the abuse she suffered at a stepfather and the terrible poor that girl went through hell as a kid, I started to think, no, no, wait a minute. And then something else triggered it because they call her a, a psychopath. Well, she's not, she was never a psychopath. She had a lot of love in her for other people, especially her lesbian girlfriend, Taria Moore. Um, and, and Lee would do anything for this girl's love. Um, and she, as, as your viewers will know, that Lee was an interstate hooker. And when she went to trial, some, 200 of her clients had volunteered to go to court, risk their own marriages to say, look, she was a good girl. Wow. You know, you paid her the money. She did the business. And, you know, she, we all went our happy ways. So the cops say she killed six. I say she killed seven. I also know for a fact that Tareer Moore was involved in one of those homicides. Tareer Moore grasped up, you know, stitched up Lee the cops made a fortune out of it. They bought new houses, new cars, flogging the stories to the press and the media. Um, and, and Lee took it all on the chin. And and she died. She was mentally ill when she died. They strapped her down and put the goodnight juice into her. I made I wrote the book called Monster after that, which made the movie Monster starring Charlie Theron. And, uh, and I have a great... I, 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 I've argued on TV and at lectures in front of psychiatrists and psychologists to the cows come home. And now they're all starting to agree with me that she was not a psychopath. She was just badly, badly damaged as, as a child. But I want to add this to it. The seven men she killed, why did she kill seven men out of all of the others? Well, the seven men, when you research their histories were bad. One was a, blatant abuser of prostitutes to beat them up and beat women around. The others, one was some social worker who's holier than thou, who started punching her during sex. Um, another one, you know, told her to strip off and he raped her, tried to rape her. And and so she pulled out a gun and shot him. Right. Good I mean, so it's just seven out of hundreds, right? Hundreds of, of Johns oh. that she was with. Yeah, well, in, in, and she shot them, and, you know, if a woman, I mean, look, let's get this straight. I mean, I, I go to the Philippines, I go around the world, and, you know, these working girls, I prefer to call them, you know, all right, they might have drug problems. They, they've got kids, their husbands have left them, they treat them like, you know, and they've got to do something to earn a few bucks, and and I get that. But there's no reason to go around smacking them out and knocking their heads out and beating them up and abusing them. That's out of order. We've had this in this country with um, Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. 17 women he murdered, some decent, young, lovely young girls walking home from school. If those, if, if, 
this is where the gun laws come in. And, and this is, I know there's a lot of a debate in the States about this at the moment. But if one of those girls like Lee Wernos had had a firearm, all the other girls would still be alive because she would have shot them. Yeah, and she was kind of clever. and She would kind of uh, play more crazy than she was. Did you find that to be true? Like, I thought that there was times where, like, she was telling people fake stories or something like that. Well, you know, she told people a few fake stories. But look, let's get this get down to the nitty gritty about that. The child was da badly damaged and brutalized as a, a, a nine, ten year old. I mean, her stepfather used to come in and he'd make her polish his leather belt, then bend her over a kitchen table naked and thrash her while he masturbated. You know, then she met that Lewis Graff fellow. She, she beat him up because he was a stupid old fool. But. That girl was seriously damaged. She was streetwise. She was bright. Um, her stepfather made in the winter when she, she got pregnant and her stepfather made her sleep in a car outside in the snow for weeks. Yeah, so she's just super abused. Why do you think that they, I mean, I guess it's Florida, but she got the death penalty instead of life in prison. Uh, do you find that, that, that the death penalty was merited or what do you think about that? Well, look, I get asked about the death penalty a lot. And, and I want to say this to your viewers, and I'll say it to you as well, William. Look, if, if, if somebody likes this, say Texas, are sick and tired of having their elderly, their children raped, murdered, the elderly beaten up for a few handful of cents by some senseless clowns who, who should know that if they commit a capital offence that they could be executed then that's for Texas to decide. Um, you know, if another state abolishes the death penalty, then that's their business. But what did what did killing Lee Wernos achieve? Nothing. It didn't really, yeah. And she, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a tragic case. She, I mean, it's she killed those people, but like you can see the background that led to those events. And, yeah. and she like she wasn't well i think she said i think you quote in the book i'm sailing with the rock i'll be back like independence day with jesus june 6th like the movie big mothership and all i'll be back like yeah. her senses were all scrambled so yeah i mean like you know i i met officers from the florida department of law enforcement i, I got on quite well with i get on well with them anyway but i met some of the cops captain vinegar and a few of the flipping cops that arrested her um Big mouths, rednecks, full of themselves, you know, fat, obese, you know, they think just because they're packing heat, they think they're the dog's bollocks, you know. I mean, and they bragged about it and they made a lot of money out of selling the stories, you know, and they knew they were stitching her up um, and they let Tareem Moore off the hook, you know. So would these guys like mandate that they get paid to give quotes to international journalists? Is that how they made money? Or I don't understand how that works. Well, uh, you know, when you get a big, when you get a sort of a homicide case like that, multiple, you know, especially a woman that's gone going crazy, um, you know, the cops are proud of, you know, you, you know, there they are, they're doing grip and grins and stuff. Look at Henry Lucas, how many cops were shaking hands with him and smiling and getting his teeth fixed and buying him new clothes, you know, you know, it's sort of like the moment of fame for the cops. And what happens is the press want to get stories. They're looking for anything. You know, the red top press are trying to get any little thing to get the headlines. So they go to these cops 
And then they bung the cops a big drink or they, they say, look, you know, I'll buy you a new car. We want your inside story. And that's how these cops do it. They do it. So they get some kind of benefits. I'm surprised that that's not considered illegal or unethical. I mean, questionable ethics. Yeah. I'm surprised that that's allowed, that they can kind of get those benefits. Christopher, we're at about 31 minutes, 32 minutes. Do you mind taking a few questions from the listeners? Absolutely. No problem. Oh, cool. Okay. Let's see. So Barbara asks, do you see the numbers of female serial killers on the rise or more gruesome stuff? Hi, Barbara. Uh, let me think. That's a good question on the rise. I don't think, I think it's remained pretty steady, actually. Um, you know, there's very few women serial killers in, in penitentiaries or prisons in the United States or anywhere else. It, it's just, um, I mean, you know, if you kick a if you kick a baseball over a, a men's penitentiary wall, the chances are very high that a serial killer will pick it up, the ball up. But in a women's prison, now they're very few and far between. Gotcha. And uh, gameplay asks: Are there any female mass shooters? Oh, you got me on that one. I've just written a book on mass murder, actually, where I've given them, um, I've given it a bit of a slam for uh, America. Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah, That's you good, talk. Yeah, you talk about in this book the difference between spree killers and serial killers. So a spree would be like a mass shooter, but there really aren't any really many female mass shooters. It's very unlikely for women to use guns. That's what I want to, I want to correct you on that one, William. Um, there's a, a big difference between, for instance, give an example. A lot of the press call Ted Bundy a mass murderer. He's not a mass murderer. A serial killer is a person with a man or a woman who commits three or four homicides with a cooling off period between the events, a cooling off period. A mass murderer is a guy that walks into a McDonald's or somewhere and puts a bomb down and blows the whole place up or he takes out an AK-47 and wipes everybody out in one go. A spree killer is a man that goes or a man that goes on the rampage. In other words, he picks up a weapon and he'll go around the streets popping away at different people like Michael Ryan did at Hungerford years and years ago in the UK. So there's a there's a, a distinct difference between the three. Never confuse a mass murderer with a spree killer because that would be erroneous. Gotcha. Okay, thanks for that clarification. Uh Possums 1010 says, My question. How does one believe anything a serial killer says about their childhood and or their dead victims without any independent evidence? Brilliant question again. Uh, having interviewed so many, in fact, I'm writing a book at the moment called Letters from Serial Killers. When, when you sit down with these guys like Kenneth Bianchi or anybody like that, a lot of them seem very plausible. You know, they they seem contrite. Um, they might be blaming, uh, like Harvey the Hammer Carrigan did at MCF when I interviewed him. He's blaming the victims. It's not his fault. Um, and then they start on about a dysfunctional childhood. Now, I like the FBI, you know, there is about, I think it's a 12 box, a tick box list. And people like Fred West had, he had an abusive childhood. Um, you know, you get a certain amount of factors, alcoholism, absent schooling, stuff like that. That can all affect a child. And but but the question is, as Professor Elliot Layton once told me very, very succinctly, Christopher, lots of kids have dysfunctional childhoods, but they don't go out and kill people, do they? You know, on the cover of that book, you've got Myra Hindley. Now, she was one of a tag team with Ian Brady who killed, uh, tortured and killed uh, quite a few little boys in my country years ago. 
Now, Myra would never have killed anybody had she not got together with Ian Brady. Rose West would never have killed anybody if she hadn't got in with um, Fred. Uh, the little girl I mentioned earlier um, with Kathy Maywood, Gwendolyn Graham would never have killed any, any old person unless she'd been led a lot up the garden path and, and conned by um, Kathy Maywood. It's like having a grenade with the pins not in it, and then you, it, they're inert, but you put the two together, you get an explosive device. Right, it is interesting. That dynamic, too, is pretty scary. Some of these women, how they helped out these murders. I got another question from Oswald Spangler. Does Christopher think the psychology of the female serial killers is comparable to that of Hitler's Furies or the women involved in Nazi affair behind the scenes? Like, I guess he's asking, like, are they similar to kind of some of the concentration camp women in Nazi Germany? I don't know. I think that's what he means. I'll tell you what, that's another damn good question. I've got to let you guys are really hitting me tonight with them. Um, yeah, you're right, actually. Um, they say, that, you know, I think we're talking, referring to these sadistic women in concentration camps who committed the most awful crimes. Um, there, is that, there is that sadistic bite in them. Uh, and, you know, you give them a uniform. That in this, in a normal life, they'd probably be working in a shoe shop or something like that. But you put a uniform on them, and they suddenly go crazy, and they get covered. They get power, and and then they start exercising their power. And what they're doing is they're exercising their own fragile weaknesses. It's almost like a bully. But those German women obviously take it to extreme in extremists. But that's a damn good question. Thank you very much for that. Great. Any other questions for the author, please put them in here. I mean, we're at about 38 minutes, Christopher. Where's the best place, or is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap up? Well, the first thing, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff on my website, which is uh, which you can put up, um, www.christopherberryd.com. Load of stuff there. Your, your viewers can contact me through contacts page. I always answer. Um, and now there's a lot of my books are on there. I've just done the crime conference in London. I was a guest speaker there. Big thing, crime con in the USA. We're all linked together. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm doing TV programs and stuff all the time. And I love doing podcasts, especially with you, William. I love you. Well, likewise, it's great to, great to have you back. I'm delighted always to talk to you. Really interesting. I learned so much from your books. And your website, again, is your full name, ChristopherBarryD.com. And yeah. uh, so and there's 40 books, but yeah. So good luck on your uh, on your next project. But again, the title of this book is Talking with Female Serial Killers, A Chilling Study of the Most Evil Women in the World, published 2018 by Christopher Berry D. Thank you so much for your time, Christopher. Yeah, God bless you all and sweet dreams. Yeah, God bless you too. Take care. All right, stay there.